Father God, Lord, our view of you is imperfect. We see through a, a darkened glass. But what we can see, Lord, is majestic. What we can see is powerful. What we can see is awesome. And what we can see is a gentle love, a compassion for each one of us. Lord, however poor and, our imp and imperfect our view of us is, draw us closer, we pray this morning. Help us to see further, to see more clearly, and to be driven and inspired to search you out even more in our lives. Lord Jesus, you have given us the vision. You are the radiance of your Father's glory. And when we come close to you, we know we are drawing near to him. Bless us, we pray, in this morning when we remember your greatest glory, your sacrifice and demonstration of love. Amen. Gladys is still in MRI. Uh, I'm not quite sure which ward Gladys is on, so check with, with me or Rosie before you go. Yeah, AM. AM. AM too, right, we'll just check anyway. Um, I think things are moving towards Gladys um, being discharged, but uh, she's still there at the moment. Um, it's good to see Nicola here with us this morning. I know you're waiting for the results of the, the scan that you had, so our prayers are with, with Nicola as well, and do hope that things... Um, work out all right for and with, with Nicola. <clears throat> I heard this morning um, some serious news about Bev Churchill, who was rushed into hospital on Friday evening for an emergency operation on her stomach. Um, I'm not fully sure how things are, but our prayers are with um, Bob and uh, obviously Bev and, and all the family and the extended family. So we do remember these people in our prayers. So those are the announcements thank you very much Father God Lord we see you in so many different ways there's the obvious ones through reading your word singing hymns and praying together but we also see you in acts of service when we work in your name and to bring glory to you. So, Father, for all the announcements that Andrew's given us, the plans, the dates in the diary, Lord, help us through our work to see you and to bring others to see you too. And, Lord, we see you when we care and when we are cared for. And so, Lord, we think of our family and the health needs of members here and elsewhere. We think of Pauline and Gladys in hospital. We think of Nicola. We think of Bev. We think of Lynn. We think of Lois. And we think of Heather and Caitlin. Lord, in all those needs... Help us to see you and your care and your love 
as we extend arms of compassion. Lord, you are the God who hears all our prayers. Listen to us, we pray. The Jewish scholar, uh, James Kugel, describes the Psalms as the Bible's book of the soul. In psalm after psalm, he writes, the human being turns directly to God, expressing his or her deepest thoughts and fears, asking for help or forgiveness, and offering thanks for all help already given. And what that means for us is that we have a treasure chest of reflections that we can take hold of and read and use to guide us through our lives as a source of strength and comfort and guidance. So this morning's theme is a little bit self-indulgent and because I've chosen my favourite psalm, uh, but I hope you quite like it too. And we're going to look at it because for me it really resonates, it strikes chords in my life uh, which um, really hit home. It's a song for the seekers, that doesn't mean it's Gregory's girl by the way, <laughs> but it's a song for people who are seeking God. I want us to prepare to think about seeking. So there's once a boy, and he lived in a house, a very poor family, he lived with his parents and both sets of grandparents. And they were so poor that every day their meal consisted of cabbage soup. That was the only thing they ate day in, day out. Except for one day of the year, when this little boy's parents and grandparents clubbed together to buy him one bar of chocolate and how good that chocolate tasted every little tiny little bite he devoured and treasured it happens that this bar of chocolate didn't have very far to travel because the chocolate factory was in the same town a world famous chocolate factory and this little boy I think I might write this story up because I think, I think there's something in this story which, which would be big, big this little boy would walk past the chocolate factory every single day He'd smell the sweet scent in the air. He'd look to the gates. But what was behind there, he could only imagine. Except for one day, the inventor and grand chocolatier issued an announcement that he was going to invite a small number of people into the chocolate factory. And he was going to put a golden ticket inside a few chocolate bars. And if you found it, then you'd be invited into the chocolate factory. This little boy's every waking moment revolved around finding that golden ticket. It was all he could think about. He sought it out. He had tasted. He had smelt. He had seen a glimpse. But now all he could think about was seeking out this ticket. That's what it is to seek. And in summary, this excitation this morning is about developing a seeking heart. The psalm that I've chosen is a psalm for the modern era, um, but it also helps to reflect on the circumstances in which it was, it was written. So before we, we get to read it, or I reveal the identity, I want to set the context a little bit. Now this isn't concrete, because none of the psalms say this psalm was written at this particular time. But there's a few clues which um, I think it was written in quite a difficult time, in, in David's life. We're drawing to the end of David's reign and everything is starting to unravel. 
Um, Absalom, who is David's third son, <coughs> is plotting to overthrow his father. And a messenger comes to David and reveals uh, the desperate truth that the hearts of the people are with Absalom. If you just want to flick to um, 2 Samuel, I'll just pick up a few verses there. And in verse 13, it says, A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave quickly, or he will move, sorry, we must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever he chooses. And then if you just skip down to verse 23, as, as David's small entourage leaves the city, it says, The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on towards the desert. So you have this situation where David, David's life has been plotted against by his own son, and his world is crumbling around him, and he leaves the city and enters the desert. And in that situation, he writes a song about seeking God. So as we go through it, we're going to oscillate between what it means for us in our lives today and, um, and what it meant for David then. Uh, but to, I think that's enough preamble. <laughs> Let's read the psalm. Uh, it's Psalm 63, which Ruth is going to read for us. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. <clears throat> Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. What attracts me to this, this psalm, and I do come back to it time and time again, is that it does depict the heart that seeks God. It depicts the reflections of someone who has seen something of God, who has tasted something, smelt the sweet scent, and desperately wants to enter the factory and meet the inventor. The person who writes this doesn't have all the answers they're not living a superficial life where the questions don't matter anyway. 
And their view of themselves is not inflated. They're humbled by the majesty of God. And they're not in a position of comfort or luxury. The exact opposite, in fact. Their life is in peril. But there's a real physical and visceral nature to the way that David describes his seeking. And that's why I think that the chocolate factory analogy is actually not too bad. He says uh, right at the beginning, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. This is a gutsy psalm. It's really physical in its descriptions. And if you think about the situation, David's whole senses must have been acutely heightened. He had fled from the city. His body was in fight or flight mode, adrenaline pumping. And I, my, my vision is that they get to this point where they're safely outside the city and the small group of people with him makes a camp. And so there's a little bit of peace and quiet, a little bit of rest, although one eye is open waiting for intruders. But in that situation, David writes a song about seeking God with everything uh, that he has. Sometimes when it's when our, at our most exposed that we see things the most clearly. And why do I think that this is a psalm for this generation? Well, it's kind of this next two lines. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, that's where David um, seeks out God. In the UK, it's reckoned that about 21% of the population feel that religious faith is important to them. Now, when I read that figure, I actually thought, that's quite high. That's higher than I, than I thought it would be. Maybe it's inflated a little bit by uh, immigrant population. But 21% of the population, that's all, feel that religious faith is important to them. Media portrayal would probably make me feel that that is a lot lower um, than the figure. The, the, the landscape in the secular world feels very bleak, doesn't it? That's why I think this is a psalm for this generation. David is physically seeking God out in a dry land. And it doesn't have to be that way. For example, here's a quote from Cambridge evolutionary biologist Simon Conway Morris, who criticizes the atheist bleakness when he writes, rather than trudging across the arid landscape skimply sketched by materialists, we need to accept the invitation and accompany the artist that brought creation into being. It doesn't have to be the bleak view, and that's what David is writing about here. However arid it may feel, the, the seeking heart will find God. And he writes in verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is best than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. We know that our view of God is clouded. We know that we don't see perfectly. 
We know that the view is fleeting. But that doesn't mean that we haven't seen. That doesn't mean that we haven't experienced something of God. And our experience hopefully reflects that of David, that we've seen into the sanctuary something of God's power and glory. Because if there is no God, then everything is pointless. I know few of the 79% who don't hold religious faith to be of any use would admit it. But without religious faith, there is no meaning. They, of course, try and hide that, disguise it in an illusion of meaning. So, for example, people find purpose in family, in vocation, or simply the pursuit of fun. But without God, these are just the rearrangement of deck chairs on the Titanic. In fact, even the Titanic had a purpose. It was going somewhere. Without God, anything is just the rearrangement of molecules in a cold, empty universe. Whatever illusion we may create for meaning, success or failure, happiness or misery, suffering or pleasure, without God, none of it means anything. It's just the the rearrangement of molecules in a cold, empty universe. If there is no God, then life, death, everything between has no meaning. However, if there is God, then all that changes. And that's why David writes, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. God's love, steadfast love, is better than life because it's what gives life meaning. It's what gives life purpose. That's why it's greater than life itself. It's what makes life a story rather than just a random jumble of letters. It's the electricity that makes a circuit board come to life and have purpose. But without it, it's just an inanimate object. And like David, our response to that love must be to draw closer. What stops us seeking? What stops us developing a seeking heart? Is it because the secular world has taken the wind out of our sails? Well, love fills the sails. Is it because there are personal relationships which are too difficult and get in the way and obstruct things? Love is greater than personal relationships, and we can let it drive those relationships. Is it because we're too busy? Too busy to think about the meaning of life? I think we're probably trying to avoid the question if that's the case. Love is captivating. Is it because there's just too many questions and it's too hard and complicated? Well, yes, that's why we're seekers, not finders of all the answers. We're seeking God and let love guide us. Is it because we have a lifestyle or something in our lives which makes makes us think, it's not for me, or I'm too bad? I'll let George Herbert answer that. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed, 
love observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. Uh, A guest, I answered, who is worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look upon thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the shame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Whatever the obstacles are, love has an answer. Love bids us welcome and drives us to seek more deeply. So at this point, I think it's worth thinking back to David. Isolated in the, and the world turning against him, those closest to him, conspirators in his downfall, and yet he writes a song about seeking. He says, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in, my name, in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. That phrase, watches of the night, I think is very telling for David's situation. Remember, he's outside the city in a small camp, life under threat, the whole nation turning against him. The watches of the night means someone sat there through every single hour making sure that their camp is not attacked. Yet what David says is, I think of you, God, through the watches of the night. He is a seeker. For me, it's not on the same scale, but I can't be the only one here who lies awake anxious at night sometimes. Sometimes it's small things which have blown out of proportion, and doesn't the night do that to you when you sat there in bed chewing things over? Sometimes it is bigger things. But through the watches of the night, David is a seeker. David's God is the God of the dark nights. He says in verse 7, Because... You are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That reminded me of a song, so I think we should sing it together. Hear my prayer, O Lord. From the ends of the earth I cry. Your peace will lead me to a rock that is higher than I. For you have been my strength in times of trouble, a tower above my enemies. And Lord, I will abide with you forever in the shelter of your wings. David believes in an ultimate justice. He finishes the psalm saying, They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David believes that whatever his circumstances in this life, he will be vindicated in seeking God. 
that God will not abandon him and choose the victors in whatever circumstance may be. But God loves the seekers. And in the end, the conspirators will come to ruin. We saw an example this week, didn't we, in the Panama Papers, of how some of the wealthiest people in the world tighten their grip on their wealth through cheating and lies, going to great lengths to hide their wealth. And it affects us all. If an offshore trust fund buys up all the, all the expensive property, it artificially raises the, the, the cost of living, and so affordable housing is harder to come by. The cheats prosper, and uh, innocent people um, suffer from it. It's the same old story which has gone through time in ever-increasing circles. But whatever the, the particular situation may be, God loves the people who seek his heart. The psalm finishes with the words that the mouths of the liars will be silenced, or in another version it says stopped. And that word has up to this point only been used once in the Old Testament at this point, and that was when the floods, the rain and the torrents and the storms of, of Noah's uh, flood stopped. It says God stopped the waters. And however great the corruption may seem, however big the battles may seem to be, the wars, the terror, there comes a point where there's no storm that is so great that God can't stop it. And the floods recede and dry land appears. So in this psalm that I come back to time and time again, I probably can't tell you how many times I've read it, there are three main, main themes. The physical need to seek out God, the refuge of trusting God, and the sense of an ultimate justice. But you know, in some ways, our picture of God is clearer than David's. Our picture of God is brighter because we have seen Jesus. And Jesus revealed his Father more vividly than anything that had been before or anything that could come after. And it so happens that our New Testament reading for the day expresses this perfectly, so we'll read that together. It said, John chapter 1 and the first 18 verses, which Rosie's going to read for us. The Gospel written by John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, 
but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but the Father's Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. In our first song this morning, which I picked to preempt Psalm 63, we sang, I wait in your sanctuary to behold your glory, the glory of my God and King. And then when we read in Psalm 63, we read David saying, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. And then here in John 1 verse 14, We read, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came from the Father and revealed God's glory. If we're seeking Jesus, if we're sorry, if we're seeking God, look to Jesus. In Jesus, we see God's glory. And we come to remember his most glorious moment. Before we take bread and wine, we'll sing together. Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here, grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace. And all my weariness upon thee lean. So we sit in the sanctuary to behold God's power and glory by sharing this bread and this wine. And Lynn is going to give our thanks to the bread. Our precious and glorious Father, we are here today because we humbly appreciate what you put in store for us by giving us a calling. You sent your son who taught how we should behave as Christians, how we should be as followers of you. Your son put in a covenant for us by instituting this bread and wine. And it is about the bread now, Father, that we bow our heads and give you thanks. Jesus, we appreciate so much for what you've done for us giving your life for us, showing such love, love that we didn't deserve, love that we didn't earn. 
But we thank you so much for what you've done. This bread, you say, represents your flesh, your flesh that you gave, your life that you gave for us. We thank you. And by being here today, we know that we silence the mouth of the wicked. So in that way, we give you thanks. And we give you thanks, our Father, for your King's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Love that we didn't earn or deserve. Love draws us in. Lord Jesus, we come this morning to remember your sacrifice and to celebrate your resurrection, to celebrate the fact that you fulfilled the plan of salvation laid out by your Heavenly Father, and that after all these centuries, you're still calling us to come here, calling us to come and remember all this and remember the the fact that you still are looking for those who seek for you and seek for the blessings of our Heavenly Father. And Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son, and we pray in his name. Amen. The love represented in this wine drive our seeking hearts. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Our closing worship is two songs. The first reflects the vision of God in Jesus, which draws us near. And the second speaks of the refuge of trusting in God. Dear Holy Father, thank you for so much. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your words to us and your love. And thank you for this man, this man David, and his heart and what he wrote. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. You, my body longs for you. Father, I long to be like that. I don't long for you. I'm not sure that I thirst for you. I'm not even sure that I earnestly seek you. But I want to. I want this to be true for me. And I want it to be true for each one of us here. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and showing us the beauty of your Father, the wonder of your Father, the the incredible love that he has for us. Lord Jesus, you prayed that those that your Father had given you would be where you are, in that special, that personal, that intimate relationship with you. Dear Father, dear Lord Jesus, please 
bring us to that place.